You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith, and today I'm talking to uh, not an Australian act, but we're touring together in Australia. This is Carl Donnelly. Comedy is the one thing I'm probably ne- rarely feel down about. Okay. Weirdly, like, I'm, I'm quite good at. I, I enjoy comedy to the point that I feel I feel sort of lucky to be doing it and all that thing. Yeah. And it was sort of the thing that gave me some direction. So that's why I'm one of these people that is very not defensive. Uh, I'll always try. If somebody's moaning about being a comedian if they're a professional comedian and they're mm. moaning about it I find that a bit annoying okay because there's so many worse it's things it's going to be a long hour <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many worse things you can do with your life and so many so many like much less fun things you can do for a living that I think you know I, I enjoy it just constantly I don't I don't get annoyed with doing stand up sometimes yeah lifestyle's a bit annoying mm. but you know this trip's amazing we're in Australia at yeah. the minute and we are you know, we've been we've been brought out here because we're funny. That is an unbelievable thing yeah. to happen. Yeah. But saying that, sometimes you find yourself in a hotel in Leicester, you know, after two nights geese, and suddenly it's a lonely thing. And that's so I'm not happy with like everything, mm-hmm. but the actual bit, the comedy bit, mm-hmm. the the sort of whatever how long a night I am on stage, that is when I'm at my most happy. Sure. So like I'm so yeah I'm happy in that. I've okay. got you know in, in you know I'm not the most uh, organise I've got other you know I've had things in my personal life that are not good but mm-hmm. comedy's always been sort of the constant okay. the, the good part okay if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so was it always like that it's always been like you say it's a constant Has it, did you discover it and think hang on I fucking found a thing here that's going to make me happy uh, no no it wasn't always like that I think when I first found it I was just so excited because I, I genuinely I hadn't been to, I'd never seen live comedy before I was 20 right, I was okay. just bumming around doing jobs I hated and I remember my mate just saying oh should we go to the the Bedford in Ballard okay. and it was a pub we used to drink in and he was like do you want to go down and do a comedy night at the weekend and I was like alright and we walked in it was like a Friday night and I remember Addy Borg opened okay, and yeah. just it was the funniest thing I've ever seen probably to this day <laughs> yeah we were talking I, about Eddie before weren't we but it's Brilliant. because I, I, I didn't have any background knowledge all I mm. knew about stand up was like Lee Evans 
yeah. you know, them big guys you see in an arena and you could buy a video and somebody would get it for you for Christmas or something. Yeah. I didn't realise that that was a common thing. I thought like there was about, I probably thought there was about five comedians. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. So when I went to the Bernardo Cabaret at the Bedford and saw this, it felt like I was like going to some underground thing of like oh my god there's like 200 of us in that room and there's this guy who's just got up and he's just playing around and having fun and I couldn't believe what I was watching Okay. and I remember just like after it all my mates were like oh it was good that should we go and have a dance and I was yeah. just like what do you mean that was the greatest thing yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about and I was just so excited yeah. that I started going regularly um, so so yeah so, so that was how I sort of got interested in it and it still took me about another 18 months to consider doing it, okay, and then started to, to even to, to even consider doing no, it. Well, no, no, do you know what it was? I started thinking about doing it, and at, that coincided with me meeting uh, Marie, who mm. the, is my now wife, mm. um, current wife. Yes. <laughs> 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 I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, she uh, and weirdly enough, she was a comedy fan. Yeah. So I just got interested in this thing and she just happened to be a fan of it. And she'd been up to okay. like Edinburgh to watch, you know, she'd been up like in the late nineties and seen like Sean Hughes and all these great comics. Okay. So she knew more about it than me. And together we started going to watch comedy. And then she was the one that said to me, I think you should do it just because I've always been quite sarky and silly and, okay. I, and like just not, I mean, you know, a lot of people are funny around the pub, but I sort of, I tend to just come up with ideas quite, and, sure. just, and just have to say them out loud. Sure. So she said, I think you should do it. And off the back of that, I started really thinking about it. And then she uh, signed me up to this uh, thing called the City Lit Stand Up. Ah, you're City work. Lit. Okay, right. I've heard about that. And it was a terrible, terrible okay. thing. But I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Because whereas like, I'm the only person that off that course now does stand up mm. not the, the entirety of it. I mean they're talking about my year of people, sure. or however like it's probably one every couple of months <laughs> I'm the only comedian that has ever produced <laughs> yeah but um, it taught me more about what I shouldn't do than what I should I think how do you mean well because like, it was all teaching you stuff that I don't think you should be taught I think you should just work out okay. like I don't think you should teach somebody uh, how to stand and how to use the mic totally and great. I yeah. think you know and that's what a lot of these courses do and that's why you see a bunch of flipping new comics every year coming off the Amuse Moose and mm -hmm. City Lit and this isn't criticism I'm not saying courses are a bad thing sure. because some people need that little push start sure. but see, just give them some advice on the open mic circuit like give, yeah. them, give them bits of advice that are going to be useful don't tell them how to Dress and stand and, and wrap the mic cable around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's all it's all nonsense. And a lot of the city lit I found was was that sort of stuff. And also, and I'm not criticising the guy who was taking the course was a guy called Rob Hitchmer, who's mm. a lovely guy. Mm. Uh, but I think I've got a very different view of comedy to him. Like, there's sure. a couple of times where he would say, "Oh, you know, if when you're writing stuff, you shouldn't really be aiming to talk about something like this or something like that." And I was just like. At no point did he ever just say, "Look, write about whatever you want and just be funny." Yeah, okay. which I, even though I had no knowledge of stand up, yeah, from day one, that's what I thought. So I sort of was on the course almost. I felt a bit like an outsider, and everyone else was really getting into the sort of like, right this week I'm going to practice how to put the mic stand to the left. Yes, sure. And I was like, this week I'm going to try and think up some funny stuff and then say it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. So by the end of it, 
And also, I had to miss quite a bit of it as well because I got ill at the time. I had some stomach problems. Okay. So fi- the final thing was we did a showcase at the end, and that was my first ever gig, and that was start of 2004. Okay. So I did that, and yeah, after that gig, I was like, this is this is it. This is. What did I'm it go doing. well, your first one? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. My first three gigs were really good. Okay, three uh, is an impressive tally yeah. to have had before. And then I was so cocky. Like, you know, I'd done three, and I'd sort of changed it each time, and yeah. I was like... I honestly, in my head, was thinking, well, I'll probably be professional in about three months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and I remember my fourth gig just having the tank and mm. just not, I was like, I don't know how to deal with this. You know, it was so bad that I didn't do another gig for about three or four months. Okay. And then, so over, over my first year, I did like 10 open spots, which is crap. But 2005 was when I sort of thought, I'm probably going to give this a go. And mm. I just started gigging loads. And I really sort of, I think in them early years, I wasn't as sort of chirpy as I am now about it because, you know, you get, I think you're, it is, it's a very competitive thing, the open mic circuit. Mm. But in hindsight, looking back, I think you should appreciate it more than you do at the yeah, time. Yeah, that's, a, I've not heard anyone say that before, I totally agree with you. Because yeah. at the time, you're just like, it's so, you're like, I need to be the best on every bill, I want to yeah. be, you know, I want to win every competition. Every gig for you is a competition. Yeah. Whereas when you actually look back, it's the time you have the most freedom to be shit. Completely. You don't have, you don't have the pressure of closing a gig for 300 quid or something, mm. where if you, you know, you've got, you know, just, a, just like a gig where, if you're not funny, you're going to feel guilty. Sure. Like if you're doing sure. five minutes on a bill with 20 apps, if you, yeah. you, can, you can be shit and let everyone else, yeah. like, you know, pick up the slack. I always really, that always makes me think of uh, Joe Wilkinson. Not because not he's shit. <laughs> what? Oh, shit. Joe Wilkinson. <laughs> Joe is shit. <laughs> Joe Wilkins shit. Joe was um, the, one of the first open spots I ever saw as well. That yeah. was Bedford New Acts night. I went to watch it yeah. because when I started thinking about doing it, I went to a New Acts competition. Not yeah. New Acts competition, the, the Bedford New Acts, just to see oh, yeah. what yeah, yeah. new comedy was like. And I watched Joe's first ever gig. It's fucking brilliant. Amazing. Oh, Amazing. he was terrible. I, I need to finish the thought of why I invoked him rather than yeah. just sound like we're slanging him off. Oh, I thought it was but, just because he's a total wanker. Yeah. <laughs> but the easy. thing like with Joe was I always thought he, had, he was incredibly brave to stop. He took a pause, didn't he? He took some time out of doing yeah, it because yeah. he was going down a track that he realised, actually, I'm not, I'm not doing I mean, I'm, I'm sort of putting words into his mouth here, but from the outside, it looked like he'd gone... I'm going down a particular route of doing something. It's not making me happy. I'm going to stop doing it and reinvent yeah, what it is yeah. I do. What a problem and he, he, he almost had, once he was up and running and earning some money, he managed to retain that sense of freedom of being an open spot and being able to fail and being able to well, that's it. take those risks. I think what he really like didn't like was the fact that Joe, he started, he is brilliant and his style mm. was like quite different. And, mm. you know, and I think because he was... You know, he did really well in some of the like new act competitions. Suddenly, people just put him to do twenty minutes. Sure. And yeah, he was one of the people that was, it, it, like you say, is brave enough. Yeah. To almost like it's rare. So, like, I mean, I was one of these people that I remember getting offered like a twenty minute spot when I had about seven minutes of material, and I was like, yes, please. yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'll just banter my way through <laughs> because I was so like keen to just get every yeah. gig and just do everything. But Joe had the confidence to say, no, I'm new. I'm just gonna. I don't want to do a yeah. twenty minute spot when I can't do it so he yes it's brave so were you were you writing stuff then that was like you say just sort of talking about having funny ideas and I think that's very um, I think that's very true of what you do is you have a funny idea and you explore it and I think that's what keeps it so your work is really fresh and really sort of silly and naive like one of the I'll I'll ask you about that in a minute Um, but so were you writing how has your writing changed in, in terms of how you come up with stuff 
Um, well, I think I, I've got a lot more choosy about what I put on paper. Okay. Like, it used to be a case of, like, I used to just throw every bit of shit at the wall <laughs> and then just show the wall to people <laughs> and hope that they could find the funny. Like, I, I genuinely would just, I would write every idea down mm. and then sort of whatever I could just try out, an open spot gig or whatever, I'd do it. But now... I'm quite uh, harsh. Like if I, basically, is, and I, do you know what? Actually, I think times change things as well because Twitter, uh, and I do a podcast as well. Mm-hmm. So now, sometimes I'll have an idea, and I, I almost think, "Hang on, will it work in one of these three things?" So if I think it's just a silly little idea, throwaway line, I might just think, "I'll just do it on Twitter." I won't bother writing it as a bit of stand-up. Okay. Yeah. If it's like a little funny story that might not work as stand-up, I might just go, oh, "I'll tell it on the podcast." But if it's something I think could be a you know a proper chunk of stand up, then I won't put it in either of them two. Mm. I'll note it down in my joke book. Mm-hmm. Don't know, it's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen it. It's a Carl's joke book on the front. <laughs> but so yes, yeah, so I almost like now I've got a lot more ways of filing it. In the past, I just had all this crap in my head, okay. and I would just throw it all into a notebook and then not really understand how to work it out so what would you what would you try and do in the early days of gigging I'd just say it I was just like I'd either say it or I'd ignore it all and like I'd, I actually think I didn't turn over enough material for my first couple of years mm-hmm. like once I got my first 10, 15 20 sort of thing I really like I sort of once I got you know it was that, and it was again it was, it, I think it happens to a lot of people when you go full time like 2007 when I went full time you know I quit a day job and suddenly I was making just enough to live I think you get so excited to not have a day job mm. that you get really unproductive because you yeah, suddenly okay. think I can sit around all day every day. Yes, this is my yeah. this is my uh, my reward for having gone full time. Yeah. yeah, and it's that thing where when you want to do it so hard and become a professional, you write so much more and you just chuck everything down because you're trying to do it. But the moment you get given it, you're like, all right, now I'm going to sit back for 18 months and mm-hmm. put my feet up. So I think, yeah, I went a bit unproductive for them, sort of early. That bit when I, yeah, between 2007 and 2009, it was probably after my 2009 Edinburgh show that I started properly getting back on it. Yeah. Because that was like a best of Edinburgh, you know, that show was my debut. Yes, that's your debut year. So that was all the material I built up till then. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was like, all right, I've used that now. I need to start properly being productive again. So that was when I started actually putting you know putting more new ideas out there and going and doing more new material nights and okay. things like that so you're you're not someone I mean in the, in the in the time that you me and Jimmy have spent kind of working on ideas together and you know having that sort of workshop environment um, you don't strike me as someone who uh, writes kind of joke jokes do you know what I mean it's no. like you're very very loose in what you do and you you have an idea and you go on and sort of play around with it yeah yeah. I'd, I'd never I've never written a bit out like longhand before I've said it mm-hmm. on stage a lot of times actually I went through a phase of trying to do this thing of not writing it down before I've said it on stage so if I had okay. an idea, yeah I don't know I just thought I'd try it and I probably did it for about a year so I'd have an idea and I mean I would sorry I'd, like, I'd make a note in my phone of like the word so if something funny happened mm-hmm. on a ski slope <laughs> then I'd note ski slope on my phone okay. but then I wouldn't think about it then what I'd do is go to like Old Rope or something in London okay. and just tell the story how I remember it Okay. and if I made it funny while just telling it as if I was telling somebody okay. like a friend and they were laughing I would then think that's funny enough to sit down and think sure. about sure. so that was sort of a while but now I've got a bit more 
not serious about it but now I actually will if I have an idea I'll sit and do some pre-thought on it and then mm. make a few notes and then go to like Old Rope or someone like that and just riff on it for five minutes and work backwards from there okay which I think is quite you know it's good all, but not all the time because now like me you know me you and Jimmy have sat mm. around and thrown ideas around about a year ago, me and Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, <laughs> the comedian Chris Martin, um, we started, like, because we've always helped each other out of ideas. Okay. Like, it's for three or four years, like, if one of us is struggling with an idea, mm. we'll always meet up or ring the other one. But what we started doing about a year ago was having, like, weekly, like, coffee or lunch, whatever, where we'll okay. meet and spend two hours yeah. just throwing ideas back and forth. Like, I'll say, look, this week I've got these ideas what do you think sure. and I'll say it and just by talking it through over lunch yeah. we come up with so much I actually end up when I take it to the stage for a, even if I'm taking the stage in a, on a new material night where you're allowed yeah. to piss around with it I've already got maybe three or four lines that I'm pretty confident are going to be funny which I've never had before that's something I've, I've sort of really worked on this year is actually having it a bit more ready when I try it out on a new material night okay so you're going in there with what? With sort of points going, well, I'm going to describe it for a bit and then get to that punchline, which I'm fairly sure is funny. Yeah. And then play with it and get... So you're, you're kind or of hooking it onto... Yeah. Or as long as I know... Right, I know why I'm saying it. I know that I think it's funny. And I know why it will be funny at the end. Mm-hmm. And if I've got just a few pointers in between that I think will be like laughs along the way, then mm-hmm. I'm happy just to see what happens on the journey. <laughs> that, was not, that was jokingly pretentious by the way no I'm leaving it in I'm going to cut yeah, you me, explaining I'm, I'm going to cut you explaining that it was jokingly <laughs> so welcome to the show uh, the reason I'm keeping my voice down is that Carl and I are actually living together in Adelaide I've just interviewed him in our living room uh, and last week he <laughs> and he's hiding outside the door listening to me recording this show um, so I'm trying not to creep him out by uh, by being too audible you may have heard him shouting in the background there uh, many of you will know and love Carl's stuff we started around the same time and we were in a lot of the same new act competitions together but I hadn't really spent any time with him properly till now uh, nor seen his act in a long while he's been absolutely smashing it in Adelaide and I'm a really big fan of his work uh, we're going to talk about all the usual stuff truth in comedy his persona on stage um, but we can't really go into how he copes because he's just too bloody happy uh, the best I could do is in the later stages of the interview get him onto the subject of comedians and comedy tropes that annoy him to try and get under the skin of this aggravatingly well-adjusted man um, so I've got some great Australian acts coming up for you over the next few weeks and as I said before once we get to Melbourne in a week or two I'll be able to see a lot more shows and consequently get stuck into a lot more interviews for you info at comedianscomedian.com if you'd like to send me any suggestions for guests or feedback on the show I promise I'll read everything but it might take me up to a month to reply uh, tweet me at comcompod and join the Facebook group for these special treats you can get there once I decide what they're going to be probably priority booking for the next Comedians Comedian Live um, which is going to be in May I think details on that in the next few weeks so I'll I'll announce that um, first to the Facebook group there's going to be again strictly limited numbers so uh, yeah join the Facebook group there we go that'll do us for now back to Carl Donnelly a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It seems to me from the way you work that you feel safe on stage. You feel happy and comfortable on stage. There's no <laughs> there's no terror in your eyes at any point. Do you know what I mean? In terms of like the volume of material that we that I've seen you turn over in the last month, yeah. in the last three weeks, where you'll have an idea, talk about it, go up on stage, very boldly chuck yourself into it and know where it's going or sort of talk through it. I mean like that story about the ostrich has yeah. gone boom 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 but that's huge. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's how, yeah, because that was a very new story when we got here, and it was probably yeah. a minute and a half long, and now yeah. it's, you know, it can be like three or four minutes if it goes. Yeah. And people listening to this in the future will recognise this as the origins of Carl yeah. Donnelly's seminal ostrich <laughs> <laughs> My hour-long ostrich DVD. Yeah. I, I was just wondering, though, is that, do you think that's because you feel happy to fail? Do you feel like there's risk on stage? Do you, like, you, you see part of this, part of your comfort, part of your happiness with the thing, is that you're prepared to take the risk of it not working? Oh, yeah. I definitely don't mind failing. Yeah. And it's, not, it's not in a sort of horrible way, but I... And it, I, I think it comes with, you know, I've, you know... And you've done it as well, a lot of comparing and stuff. Mm-hmm. I am confident enough on stage that, you know, I'd never go out and just throw myself into 10 minutes of new stuff at a proper gig. Sure. Like, I know for a fact if I've come out... You can't consider some gigs not to be proper gigs. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them are. I'm not going to name names. But, um, like, I think normally you spend a couple of minutes showing them that, look, I am funny, chill out. And once you've got their faith and they know that you're confident and... If you go out looking scared, then obviously it's not really going to go as a plan, is it? But, you know, I go out, I spend a couple of minutes, like, letting them know who I am, Mm. letting them know that they're in, you know, safe hands. Mm. And then after that point, I think... I am good enough at winning them back that if I do try something new that doesn't get what, you know, maybe I thought it would, then I'll just get them back in the next bit. Mm. I've got no fear of them not liking a bit. Sure. Yeah, I don't really understand. And what's the worst thing that can happen in the world at that point is they don't laugh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's not not the end of the world. Even if you have a shocking gig, like... You know, if, if I have a shocking... The only gigs I get really upset if I have a bad gig at are ones when I threw it away mm. you know what I mean I I don't have I don't get upset if you know 10-20% of the audience don't like me mm. it's just well, it's still a pretty good average isn't it like mm. you're not going to please everyone so yeah I've got I've got not you know I don't really get scared about and has it always been, been like that have you always been no like I that? think the first few years I even up to now it's probably only up until about the last 18 months 2 years where I've finally I suppose I don't know if you want to yeah, there's that whole thing about finding your voice but I don't really think I don't know if I really believe you find your voice I think you sort of uh, find what's funny about you and then just keep rolling with that well this was this was my next question because I think of all the comics I know you are someone 
who is the same on stage as they are off stage, but in it, but in a quite an unusual way, right. because I, I think a lot of people, or oh, some some comics, you know, we all know people who have built their comic persona yeah. for the stage, and then they wander around in it the rest of their lives. It's almost like they they've got this this clothes that they put on to be on the stage, but they wear their costume off stage the whole time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, they're, they're busy being the comedian. Whereas you, are, I think, come at that from the other direction in that there's you and you're comfortable and who you are and you're happy and you're funny and then you walk on stage and just be you. Yeah, but I'd be a much more cocky version of me. I don't know if he's that much more cocky. Having hung around with you. Having hung around with you all week, I find there's... Really? There's very little difference oh, between right. you on the... stage and off stage. Oh, cool. I'm glad about that because I've always yeah. thought that on stage was the much. I feel I feel better on stage than I do off stage. Do you? Well, yeah, I feel more confident on stage. On confident, the moment I get that mic in my hand and I'm on stage, I feel like, oh, right now this is this is the proper me. That's and then fascinating. I come on, and then okay. I come on stage and yeah, I'm still, I'm comfortable being me. I'm totally happy like who yeah. I am, but. Yeah, on stage. That's why I think I enjoy doing it so much. Because when I, I'm on stage, I feel like sort of it completes me. No, <laughs> no. I'm what? cutting the no no and I'm leaving that. I'm staring at it. Completes me. It completes me. No, I just feel like that. Yeah, suddenly it all clicks into place, and that is how you know. I, I I'm not as confident in real. Life. I'm, I'm I'm a laugh off stage, and sure. like, you know I'm. You know, in a dressing room, I'll always be messing around, and I think that's good. But if you put me in a room full of total strangers mm-hmm. on my own, where mm-hmm. I'm not with like comic mates and that, sure. I'm yeah, you know, I'm much more restrained. Sure. I'm a bit more chilled out. I'm still like, I'll chat to everyone. If somebody asks me something, I'll, yeah, I'll probably be capable of being witty or funny. But when I'm on stage, I think I genuinely am like the most confident person in that room. Mm. I totally like, I'm not anyone could say anything that won't affect me like yeah. you know that's why I don't really get annoyed with hecklers and things like that because okay. it doesn't really bother me it's like you know, I know that I'm going to be funnier than them I think people listening to this who aren't comedians will find that particularly fascinating that you feel more confident on stage in front of an audience yeah. the thing which terrifies <laughs> a lot of people yeah. than being in your normal life yeah but it's, but it's all it's all because of like the mic and the lights and all that I know it sounds weird but like I did a gig recently it was a new material gig and I got there and they were like there's no mic and I genuinely was like oh my god okay because it does I, I need that I need the status thing I need okay. the mic I need the lights on me I need the high stage okay. I need to be dressed, that was, that was dressed for the stage sure like, you know, well, get onto the dress isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I, I need to I don't, I don't know the moment I've got all that on me mm. like, and I walk on stage it's like all the stuff I've got off stage which you know it's, mm. I've got every, everything I need for that but that's when it suddenly clicks in it goes into that gear that I don't have the rest of the time yeah. and I'm like you lot can fucking sit back and shut up yeah, <laughs> this okay. is my time yeah yeah so yeah maybe it is that sort of I don't know some people always like, Marie always says to me like I'm probably just seeking that sort of little thing whatever that I get on stage but I've always sort of disagreed with that but I think she's probably got a point sorry how, how do you mean what like, Marie, she says that, you know she's got her theory that you know as a non-comic she says that all comedians have something missing from their life that they they get from doing comedy sure even the ones that are really sort of nervy on stage and will do just their one-liners and get off whatever yeah everyone nobody goes on stage who isn't searching for something yes okay you know 
And it is, it's always selfish, I think. No one's going on because I just want to make people laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. No, you're not a priest. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you're not doing it to just help the people. Sure. Uh, priest is probably, in the current climate, the wrong thing. <laughs> but what I mean is, everyone does stand up for a selfish reason. Yeah. But I think most good comics are doing it because that's where they sort of can you know, share their opinions or they can... You know, to get something of themselves out there, and you know, just talk to people. Whatever. Some people obviously have more selfish reasons of just wanting to be on telly or something like that. Sure. But uh, but yeah. So I think I probably do it because that's when I feel at the best. I feel okay. I feel like I'm the most sort of I'm in the most comfortable state I can be in mm-hmm. on stage. Okay. And you. How should I put this? You're not kind of running away from anything in your personal life. You seem to have a very happy, well-adjusted personal yeah. life. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I don't think I'm running away from anything. Like all of that, I don't. No, because if I was, I think I would have ditched all my personal life stuff to do comedy. Like, yes. if anything, I, I'm the opposite. I most of my close friends are non-comedians. Okay. Like when I started com- comedy, I made sure I met so many comics who just didn't have any. Friends, you know what I mean. I know some comics now who only have a handful of com- comic friends. You know what I mean because yeah. they ditched all their real life mm. for comedy. But I never—that's not. I was never running away from life. I was running away from getting up in the morning and because you know, <laughs> <laughs> I because I didn't. That is a tragic question. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is, I was running away from uh, being. I was running away from being unhappy with my daily situation. I thought I'd hated every job I ever did. Okay, and I just didn't know what I wanted to be, but it's just it just so happens that when I saw stand up, that was what I wanted to be, but I just didn't know it. Yeah. So I'm not running. Away, yeah, I'm not. I've never been running away from anything. I'm pretty happy across the board. I'm, I'm not quite sure whether you're agreeing with Marie or disagreeing with. Well, no, I think now I'm agreeing. I used okay. to disagree, but now I do think like no matter what your reasons for doing stand up, it it normally is to fulfil something that is missing in your psyche or subconscious or something okay. and for me I think because I was never that confident when I was young like I was a real sort of a little chubby idiot really? and then yeah I was rubbish and I, <laughs> I got I remember getting bullied when I was about 11 and I was in a really crap rough school in Streatham mm. and I was just hanging out with like horrible bastards and like you know I was just getting into trouble and that and I remember like my mum moving me into another school which wasn't great but it was better and there, I sort of was suddenly was like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang out with some bigger boys and just be the funny fat one. And okay. I did that. So, but no, even then, but I was never that confident. I was always just a little bit sarky. So I think that I've always wanted to be confident. And I think it got, I got more and more confident sort of into my like late teens and twenties. And then when I did stand up, the first time I walked on stage and was like. Suddenly, I became super confident. I think yeah. it was like a, you know, it's like a drug, isn't it? And suddenly, like, shit, I'm the most confident man in the room right now. Yeah. So I suppose that is what it was. That's what I subconsciously get from it. If I was a psychologist, but I'm not. Just like the jokes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I wonder if there's anything more to add on on your persona on stage because it's not something that 
seems remotely worked on. You've never, you don't seem like you ever made any decisions about how you're going to be on stage or. or oh, I've never. Sure. I've, yeah, if anything, any decisions I've made about how I am on stage has been to stop myself from doing anything that is sort of planned. Okay, so you've made decisions about what not to do on stage. Yeah, like the thing, like, I mean, you've probably seen, like, some, I, I don't stand normally on stage. I don't mm-hmm. sort of walk around Oh, you normally. say you put yourself into shapes to make yourself laugh. You well, not, not I don't, I know, but I don't, you know, some people sort of have a very set, when they yeah. go on, they're like, they might leave the mic in the stand and stand behind it and yeah. hold the mic stand. Some people take it out and hold the mic and sort of be mm-hmm. quite still. Some people pace back and forth. Mm-hmm. I've sort of, I don't think about what I'm going to do. I don't think mm-hmm. about how I'm doing it while I'm on stage. So mm-hmm. sometimes... I will find myself like mid bit and I'll look down and I'm sort of crouching down (laughs) and I I, I genuinely just catch myself doing it because I've I don't like to sort of think about how it looks Mm. I'm too busy saying it and I also think it's funny sometimes for an audience to see me telling a bit and I will have you know one leg up on a speaker or something just for no reason and then they probably some of them are probably thinking he's got his leg on a speaker so when I stop and sort of realise and go yeah. oh shit so I've got my leg on the speaker yeah, yeah. it's sort of a funny moment when they realise that I'm not this you know super you know planned sure. comedian who's gone on everything I'm doing on stage is pre-planned and thought out and sure. it's conscious a lot of the stuff I'm doing <clears throat> with my how I look on stage is totally unconscious well let's let's talk about how you look because you're I mean you're not wearing them at the moment you're wearing <laughs> a simple pair of a sandal which is most of your feet we've seen yeah, but you recently purchased some plum colour suede are they ostrich are they <laughs> no, faux no, ostrich just, just a suede Chelsea boots with a, a large heel they've got a Cuban heel they've got a Cuban heel I like a Cuban heel I started I've, I've, I've always I gave up wearing trainers uh three years ago okay on stage and that was just you, that sounds like you made a decision no, no but actually no, it wasn't off, off, on stage it was off stage okay. I decided to stop wearing trainers in day to day life it was probably no, it was about two years ago it was just when I was getting near 30 mm-hmm. and for some reason I just had a moment where I was like what am I wearing trainers for <laughs> I'm a grown man and I started wearing shoes and liked them and I started wearing some boots and then obviously just I just was would wear what footwear I had on on stage sure. and then sort of I got my hair cut from the long hair to the short hair yeah. and again that was because I think I kept the long hair that was one of the few things I kept I think for comedy mm-hmm. like my long hair because it was big and it was silly and it would get, I'd get a laugh before I got to the mic yeah and sort God, of I just suddenly had a flash of seeing you oh like years God. ago with a massive hair oh it was so big like proper sideshow bob hair and then it would basically get a laugh and I'd walk to the mic and people would probably think I was some like really geeky sort of guy and then I'd be this sort of weird mm. sort of cocky little South London idiot mm. so it was a weird it's, I don't think it made me sort of come across quite weird I think and people didn't know what to make of me but I think I kept the hair for too long because it was doing my head in for about 18 months sure. and then finally I was like I'm just, again I'm just going to cut my hair to look like an actual man yeah and, and but you still you the, the way you dress on stage with your kind of rhinestones on your jacket <laughs> yeah, and, stuff well, like that. and also I'm thinking bearing in mind that a line you've been opening with a lot this on this tour has been this is how I look all, all the you time know, I'm yeah, told yeah. I mean, this is how I look all the time you're sort of it's like I, I don't know how conscious this is but it sort of feels like you're being very gently provocative you're almost being like look at look how silly I am I mean I think you even said something maybe a week or so ago but you like you're you're sort of I can't remember how you put it, but it was something along the lines of 
you want to you want them to see that you're not an idiot, but yeah. someone that doesn't quite fit into the world. Yeah, because in I'm the not, same way as everyone else. But I think because I'm not like somebody. I don't think I'd fit in properly in terms of like how I dress. I've all, out of all my mates, like my mates have come from all different backgrounds and jobs, and you know, I have always dressed weird. Like yeah. from I remember like when we'd be eighteen and seventeen, going to nightclubs, or whatever. They'd all be dressed in like their sort of Ben Sherman shirt, jeans, loafers, and I'd go out in some wacky flowery shirt. And I've always sort of dressed. I think it was that thing because, like I said, I didn't used to be very confident. When I got some confidence, okay. somebody was like, "Right, I'm I'm dressing this I'm up." Gonna, yeah, okay, and okay, okay. I'm making just, the most of it. Yeah, and I think that 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 falls into now how I dress, and you know, I like wearing sort of Cubanil boots and mm. bloody sort of you know, weird jackets. I went through a phase of wearing leather jackets on stage, but then I thought, no, actually, I just look like a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fine line, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's like the brown leather jacket. I reckon yeah. that's the hardest item of clothing to pull off as a comic. <laughs> the brown, the brown leather, jacket. leather jacket. There is, it is a, oh, a hair's breadth away from, like, between sort of looking like, you know, some, he does look quite a cool guy, and look at that twat. <laughs> and you can tweet uh, at ComComPod uh, if you've seen anyone pull off a brown leather jacket oh, on stage. Seeing an open spot in a brown leather jacket is like, yeah. that's, it's like seeing a dodo. <laughs> you'll, you'll find, you'll see one, and you'll be like, oh, this is a great, you'll, you know, you'll text a mate, and I've just seen an open spot in a brown leather jacket. But yeah, I, I used to wear leather because I used to again I, used to, I wear leather jackets the rest of the time, so I just wear them on stage. But so it's sort of a celebration of your confidence. Yeah, it's sort of like look, and that's why I say this is how I dress all the time. Because mm. if you walk on and you've got big boots or and you've got like tight jeans and you've got wacky hair and you know hipster glasses, chances are. You know, there there is going to be a bunch of people in there thinking this guy's going to be a prick. Yeah, and there's also going to be some people thinking that I have dressed up like that just for the just yes. like for the yeah, stage. I've so seen I, it like that. So I when agree. I say like this I is how I look all the time, it's sort of saying to them, look, just this is I'm not just doing this. I'm not yeah. I used to have a line where when I had the big hair, yeah, yeah. and I'd say I'm not a character actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to say this is my actual head, and it's just that thing of saying to them, look, I'm, I'm not just a prick. This is just how I look. So let's mm-hmm. get over that. And, Mm. and that's a, that's a real power move that's a real confident move as well to come on and go I look weird I know I look weird yeah. I'm really comfortable with it makes yeah. everyone go oh we're all comfortable with it as well yeah, yeah. so it's, yeah, it's not it's not as contrived I think as some people would think I want to talk about how influential you've been on the circuit I think this came up. Well, you you said this, and I didn't. Okay, well, let, let really me let me clarify it. terms, and we'll just for the sake of the uh, the listener, um, I think a lot of people, a lot of acts who started after you in the years after you started, um, slightly copy your voice. Do, right. do you, are you aware well, of that? There's, I'm not I'm not going to say names, but I've had a sure. there's a few newer acts who I have had quite a lot of texts from other comics saying just seen so and so. Yeah. It's like a little version of you. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know. But it's just, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. Sure. Because some people, sometimes you see people that just talk similar or sound similar, innit? But, yeah. I've, you, I've, you I've, I've, I've seen a couple of new acts who have sort of, you know, even said to me, like, oh, I'm a big fan of yours. Yeah. And then I've watched them and they do sort of have a bit <laughs> And you've of gone, oh, you are a big fan. But no, they've sort of had a bit of the stance and a bit of the, you know, yeah. a bit like sort of certain wordings and things like that mm-hmm. that I 
use and yeah I'd, like I'd, wordings for example which isn't <laughs> word. <laughs> if we hear anyone use the word wordings that's like a genetic thumbprint <laughs> yeah uh, but I, you know sort of the way they sort of say things yeah uh, that yeah I think I, I can sort of see this I've I've seen it a couple of times but I don't think it's you know, influential makes it sound like sure. way bigger than it is. Yeah, Literally yeah, sure. two people. But, but, but I also I also think not just in the way you say things, but um, I think you I think you tell a lot of stories about things that have happened to you and things that have happened to your mates. Yeah. And you do that in such a way that those stories contain hundreds and hundreds of jokes and angles and silly ideas. Yeah. And I think it's easy to see that. And I think people, I'm sure people have done this, and I think you're kind of one of, almost like one of the, the front runners of that thing where rather than come up with a, an act, or a, I don't mean an act, I mean, a, yeah, rather than have an act, Carl, you just talk about shit that happens During you. your turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, in the same way as, for example, when Whimsy kind of exploded, Josie Long was doing something where she'd drawn a picture yeah. and had six brilliant jokes about yeah. it. And it's easy for people to watch that and go, oh, what you do is you draw a picture. Draw a picture on your belly. That's, yeah, exactly. that's not the joke. Yeah, the joke is exactly. what she does with it. That, exactly. Yeah. And I think in the same way, um, it's easy to see you telling stories about some funny thing that happened to your mate yeah. and go, oh, oh, you need to tell a funny story about something that happened to your mate. Yeah, I think yeah, you've yeah. been quite influential in that way as well. I think you've been quite copied, if you like, rather oh, cool. than influential. Well, I, I, think, I didn't I never thought about it. But, but I, th- I think there's a lot of people now telling, to be fair, quite bland stories about things that happened to them and going, my oh mates. my God. It's- <laughs> 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 Basically, what, this is what the comedy courses now say. Imagine that you know one of Carl Dobby's friends. What sort of scrapes might you get yeah. into? But the thing is, that's because, yeah, it's just a good, I've got a lucky mix of very funny friends and I've got the ability of making it funny. Yeah, <laughs> So like, okay. I make it funny to other people. Sure. Because it's not funny sometimes. Yeah, you know, I've seen comics say something funny happened to my mate and then they tell it and you're like, all right, cheers for that. Like, yeah, even if it's funny, you yeah. think, well, why are you what, what are you that? telling me? You've What's your a, opinion? There's yeah. this, it's a definite way of doing it. You've got to tell it for a reason. This is what I said, um, I think I said it earlier about everything you say on stage, you've got to know why you're telling it. Mm. Like, you can't, um, you've got to basically, all my stories have it at some point in it a, a little opinion about why I'm saying it. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's because I just want to, you know, it's, you know, say, What's a, f- a good example? Oh, well, like a bit about how much would you be paid yeah, to so fillet a, a man? Yeah, the point yeah. is, what price would you put on your sexuality? Yeah, so yeah. it's got, I sort of say that, like I say, I'm going to tell you this story about something my friend said in this conversation, uh, but like basically the point is, it's a good thing to think about whether or not you could. Yeah. So I sort of almost say that, yeah, yeah, listen to the story, but think about it for yourselves. So I don't, because I think sometimes just saying, this happened it's like oh right yeah. <laughs> like, there's no real don't get much of you in it sure because as well and as well like I mean a lot a lot of the stories I tell which I only thought about this recently I think it was Stephen Grant said this to me after I did a comedia gig with him and he's pointed out that like most of my stories are stuff that wouldn't happen to other people that oh, haven't happened to other people so I'm not telling yes. the story like it's not like you know when you, you know when this happens to you. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's not like most of them are not I'm not like doing it from the point of view of one of them I'm doing it from like this is something that's funny that's happened to me yes you need to know this just yes. in case because like it's I think it's, it is easier to tell a story when it's something that happens to everyone yeah you know but sometimes people 
probably see what I do and think I'm just telling some funny stories and being their mate and they're all they're, oh yeah that happens to us but when you actually look at it most of my stories are things that have not happened to people like most of them you know I don't know anyone else that's accidentally showed a hairdresser a picture of him having a shit you know I don't know anyone else who's yeah sort of been <laughs> had a weird moment with an emu yeah or you know most of my stories I don't know many people that have got into a stranger's car or you know seen a guy fart on a train and congratulate himself and, but all these stories that happen on say like I'm telling them in a way that makes people like get into it and like like imagine themselves in it because that's how you, if you're a good storyteller that's what you do you put them in the story you make them feel like they're in the story because you you explain the scene mm-hmm. and I think sometimes people probably see it and think it's just easy. always just telling a funny story that happened but it's not or it's actually quite difficult guys guys <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about truth then how much of uh, in one of your in one of your routines <laughs> um, one of your sketches that's old people who say yeah, yeah. stand ups in one of your sketches then in one of your stories how much of it is word for word what actually happened how much is artistic license and how much if any is pure invention um, I, keep, I try and keep it as true as possible like uh, that emu story currently being done is pretty much you know I'd say 90% so the emu did look round Marie is scared of birds she has yeah, a bird so, and I, the emu wasn't it was probably I, I, in the story I sort of suggest he was right by yeah. my face he was probably about a foot away okay. which is still <laughs> very close to your face sure to turn sure. and see an emu staring into your eyes I can't believe that emu was like <laughs> seven inches more than you'll make it out on stage um, yeah. Okay. so yeah and that happened we walked in and we saw kangaroos and it distracted us and then sort of you know I mm-hmm. did say to her I'll keep an eye out for any emus and, but and then yeah so this story like it sounds ridiculous it sounds made yeah. up but that's how it happened and she ran out and we got out of there and you know and yeah, all the other sort of most of my stories are pretty much true. I try okay. and keep them as true as possible because I'm not actually a particularly good liar. I'd and also I won't find it. I need to find it funny, or I won't say it on stage. Okay. And if I am making it up, chances are I'm not finding it funny. It's like a good example being, unless I tell them it's made up. Yes. Like I've got this oyster story. Oh, of course, thing the oyster story. Yeah. Where? Is that on YouTube or somewhere? I want to be able to direct people to see. No, that. it's something that I, I don't know what to do with it. It's, it's basically, I don't. It's a weird one. It, I think it's the most original bit of stand-up I've done. Okay. Because I haven't seen anyone else ever do a joke in that format. Yes. Where you tell them it's a story within a story. Yes. But and I also tell them the punchline at the start. Yeah. I tell them how it's going to end. I tell them that it's all made up. Yeah. But and then, then you, you tell them it's going to it's almost like you're saying I'm going to tell you a shaggy dog story now yeah so yeah. It's, it just, the, the crux of it is I tell them a story about telling somebody a story over dinner as to why I didn't eat oysters or why I don't eat oysters but I've told the audience that I'm, I made it up so they they are listening to it from my perspective yeah but they're also in on the joke that the person hearing the story didn't know it was made up yes and they're also really enjoying the story yeah. and not knowing what's so going to happen it. next and then what I do is yeah. do the story for five or six minutes and it's not a funny story it's just yeah. totally like played out to for real about a story of ended up on an oyster fishing boat and yeah. my mate getting washed overboard and I do it for long enough and serious enough that they get really into it yeah. and then the punchline even though they know it is still a surprise yes so it's sort of I when I did when I came up with it 
like there was no way of knowing if it was going to work first time mm. I did it I just had to plow, plow into it for five minutes mm. and hope that at the end it worked and it did and I remember just the relief it was the only time I've ever been midway through a bit of material and actually had my heart racing and thinking this might not work okay and when it did I was just like totally relieved and just really like yeah just, it felt like the most original thing I've ever come up with what were we talking how did we get onto this um, it was the question was about uh, we're talking about truth how much stuff's oh yeah so, so that so yeah. the, but the reason I I could have I could just do that story and just say it and make convince them it's true and have the punchline and yes. they'd be like oh but I don't like it because it's made up so I'd like to uh, I, I tell it okay. I tell them it's made up because otherwise I don't think I could fully commit to it okay I need them to I need to be truthful or I think it comes across and it annoys me because I remember the only time I've ever ever had an issue with something somebody said about me online was a couple of years ago and I don't read any of that shit I don't like I don't read reviews I don't you know, I don't Google myself. I don't look at my name on Twitter or any of that stuff. I'm very sort of just. Yeah, you know, you're never tempted to. You no, just no, cut no, that out no, of no. It's about about two years ago. Okay. I totally stopped. Brilliant. And I, I wanted to. I sort of I, it, I phased it out because I was just getting a bit bored of it. But a couple of years ago, somebody sent me a link to something. Somebody had put on my Chortle review page. Mm-hmm. I had my Chortle review, and then it had you know there's a comment section mm-hmm. underneath it, and a guy had basically just gone off. Bloody Carl Dot like so he really sort of slapped me off and said that I said that I make up all my stories and that mm. sort of I can't remember what it was, it was just really horrible. Oh that was me, I posted <laughs> <laughs> But like if the guy had just said I think Carl Donnelly is shit, I wouldn't have any issue. Okay. But the fact that what he said was totally wrong. Yes. It was the only time I've ever read anything about me that's upset me. Okay. And I actually I'd say it was I went I contacted Steve Bennett and said, Look, this guy's put a Put a comment. I don't know who it is, but he said that I make up all my stuff, which is actually incorrect. So yeah. I think, can you take it down? That's yeah. the only time I've ever done anything like that. Okay, because I, yeah, I really take it seriously that I, I'm not a liar on stage. It's, you know, so yeah, you can embellish the truth, but I'm not. If, if I tell an audience this is how it happened, that's how it happened. Why do you think that's so important to you? Well, it's nice because I'm. I know because I tell them it's true. Like mm. I think I don't know. I don't know why it's important to me. I just don't think. I could just. Well, I suppose maybe I could make up some stuff, but I, I, I just wouldn't. I don't think I'd be able to deliver it as well. Okay. I need to because when I tell a story, I never write a full story out. Mm-hmm. Like if I do a story, I, I probably I know the punchline or the how the big ending. I know sort of why I get into it. I tell them why I'm telling them it, and along the way, I know some like funny bits I've come up with, like funny little punchlines. But I never like. I always leave room to elaborate and I always leave room to catch myself off guard when mm-hmm. saying it a different mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. or maybe like chuckling in something that I'd forgotten and that's because I'm telling it from memory yeah. so it's really fun to be retelling a story as if it's the first you're telling it to these people yes. and the way you're telling it is the only time you'll ever tell it in that way <coughs> yeah. and if it's true it's much easier you're making it up it's harder isn't it to make it fun. so but why specifically in that example what was it that you felt he was attacking like your, was, was, your integrity was, yeah he was yeah. claiming that what I'd done or I don't know where he'd seen me or what he'd seen me on but he was without he wasn't saying in my opinion Carl only makes up his stuff sure. he said oh, as if he was revealing the he was um, saying as, yeah. If, yeah, as if he had some secret that I and this okay. sort of cynical liar who goes around going guys this happened to me recently and I'm secretly yeah. sitting at home going me didn't yeah. <laughs> writing out this story I didn't even know somebody called Paul yeah. <laughs> but it's when it was so it, that was the only thing that upset me that he genuinely said like Carl telling his real stories mm-hmm. and just like sort of just suggested I was some some 
you know lying bastards so when you when you go up to Edinburgh which you do frequently you um, you don't engage with the press at all you don't read reviews of other people's shows no, no, or anything no. like that I am um, what was it 2011 uh, was the first year I didn't look at any of my reviews and I still like, you know that thing of accidentally yeah you know sitting down on a paper and you pick it up and there's a review and you read like, I sort of caught a few not of mine but of other people mm-hmm. but Last year, I just totally was like, I'm not even going to do that. If I see a paper, I'm just going to ignore it. Don't read anything. I don't really read anything about yeah, any comedy criticism anymore. I just can't be bothered. It's just, um, I don't think it's for us, really. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, a reviewer is essentially a professional audience member, isn't it? Yeah. So they're at the show to review it, to give their feedback to the potential audience members, to say, this is what I thought, see what you think. Sure you're never going to be that person you're never going to be an audience member to your own show yeah. so why are you reading what it's like for them and also what are you going to get out of reading a review if you read a good review what are you going to do then just keep your show exactly as it was that night yeah, or if you read right. a bad review what are you going to do change it in <clears> which case you didn't have the faith in it in the first place yeah. so you need to you need to get your own conviction sorted and not worry about it I think which I understand I, I, sound, I make it sound easier than I realised it was because when I say to I say to loads of comics like, like good mates of mine comics and I say like how I don't read, read them and I think for the first like, year or two they didn't I don't think they believed me I think they were like yeah but you're saying that but you do yeah you? okay and I was like Gen- I genuinely don't and they were like yeah but it's so hard it's like mm-hmm. it's really not hard to not type chortle into your web browser <laughs> <laughs> it's really not that hard to go out and buy the Scotsman you know mm. you, you don't even have to avoid it you just don't just don't actively look for it and you mm-hmm. won't, won't see it mm-hmm. so it's, it's really easy but I understand like I'm not I'm saying that but I think you should you should find the time when you stop doing that I think early years it's hard it's really hard you know I mean you remember getting your first ever review and sure. things like that I think you, that's a, sort of a rite of passage but I think after once you've found your comfort levels and you're confident in what you're doing and you're happy in the place you're doing it from and everything like that then you're done just give up looking at it all because no, it's no longer got any point to you and then you can take up meditation like I did and find Zen tell me about meditation <laughs> oh really oh, right. yeah yeah absolutely, absolutely. no yeah I started meditation you're, you're, you're a happy successful comic and if you now tell me oh it's because of meditation <laughs> then we're all going to go and do that no no it's not I did, meditation came afterwards okay. meditation is what because meditation is sort of what I started using uh, because of having like you know I've got a bit of an overactive brain which mm-hmm. is part of why I've always come up with silly ideas and mm-hmm. why I've sort of probably got into comedy and found it so good but them ideas don't stop when I'm off stage mm-hmm. you know what I mean it's on stage when I'm at my most probably calm mm-hmm. yeah I mean it's that weird thing like, I don't I've, now having done meditation people think you reach calm there I'm my brain is at the most peaceful when I'm on stage it's such a weird thing I don't know if you have it Whereas, yeah, I, I genuinely, like, right, if I'm sitting in a, cold, a dark, like, quiet room, my brain is like, rah, 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 rah. Yeah. when I'm on stage, I don't hear yeah. my thoughts, it just happens. There's, uh, someone told me there's a concept of that, it's called flow. When right. you're flow, it's like when, when, any, when anyone is doing a thing that they do well and they, and they lose themselves in it, yeah. that kind of, that's known as flow yeah, by yeah. someone. Well, it's a great, it's, um, it's, I think it's amazing. Like, I never sort of think about it. Like, it's that thing of like, when you, like, it's like when somebody heckles you and you come back from it. Yeah. Like, so people are like how did you come up with it that quick and I'm just like I don't fucking know I have no idea I was in the main just watching it all happen in slow motion yeah I genuinely just responded without any thoughts 
and like so but the rest of the time my brain is a little bit active and it always has been and so I thought I'd try a bit of meditation and it's really good you just sit in a you know I do Buddhist meditation even though I'm not a Buddhist I just mm. like the like their bells and stuff <laughs> <laughs> and also it's weird it's really cheap like if you do transcendental which is what that's a trendy one that celebrities use yeah you've got to pay it's like I don't know how much it is it's like 500 pound a sort of six month yeah. membership whatever if you go to a Buddhist walking centre you can you can have a guided meditation set and it's just like afterwards they just like just make a donation so mm-hmm. give them a fiver and you know they're chuffed to bits and it's for an hour they'll just talk you through some nice little meditations like Techniques. Mm-hmm. So now, yeah. So I use that, and I've, I use. Uh, you've heard some of my my weird <coughs> music. Oh I, God! What is it called? Theta waves. Is theta it? waves. Yeah. yeah. It's another thing because I find if I am, you know, if I've got some ideas and I just want to sit and look through them and think about them, again, my brain just like gets so easy distracted. It's much easier when I sit down with somebody to talk through ideas because mm-hmm. I I'm concentrating on what they're saying, and then I'm telling them my thing, and we're going back and forth. So you've got some sort of direction in that conversation. But when you're sitting there trying to work on ideas yourself, your brain is just like, like you know, something will just come up and be like, oh, mm. what are you going to have for your tea tonight? And I'm like, oh, shut up. <laughs> so you end up having this argument with yourself about trying to concentrate. But I found this, yeah, it's like theta waves. It's used for meditation as well. It's music that is like, has different frequency levels of, you know, different like beats and waves and all this. It's proper hippie stuff. But mm. it, I find it really good to have in the background when writing because it's not silence your brain doesn't go crazy but it's also not music that distracts you with like oh this is a good song or some words or whatever mm. or a song you come up you haven't heard in ages mm. it's just background noise yeah that and it just I find it makes your brain totally just find that level of being able to just think about what you're thinking about without going off on different tangents so yeah, I mean I've recommended it to quite a few comics who mm. struggle to sit and write on their own to just yeah just whack it on it's like yeah, theta waves and binaural beats guys <laughs> binaural <laughs> beats this is your blurb on the website be the king of binaural beats I mean, yeah it's proper hippie shit but I do recommend it for people that you know aren't doing anything creative when they're on their own are there things you see people do on stage that annoy you Oh. Like you, you're very protective of comedy. You really love it. Oh, totally. What things get up your nose that you see in comedy? Um, crap, edgy comedy. Like prop, just crap. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> I love. I, this, I, I love seeing somebody talk about something like that like in an interesting way. You watch someone like Steve Hughes who yeah. will talk about you know he could talk about any old you know sort of shit and it's funny because he's a funny man and he can say what I think is this This is when you know somebody who's good at doing sort of you know political or social commentary comedy uh, is when they say something you disagree with yeah but you still find it funny yes that, totally, is, that is like totally. that is incredible you know and there's not that many people that sort of do it but the worst is when somebody just talks you know just goes for the, the easy laugh like on, mm. on a rape joke or it's, uh, it's just yeah it's, I can't watch that so it's just I find it's really cynical and, mm. and like, the worst thing is the way that an audience reacts to it they react to it like oh, I can't believe he's saying that and it's sure. like well, yeah, what you don't know is that's the easiest thing to get a laugh from yeah. not just get a laugh but get like a round of applause and that mm. sort of like yeah, yeah because you're not just laughing at it you're also laughing at the fact that they've said it you're like, you're, the reaction to it isn't an honest comedy reaction 
it's got so many more different levels. Mm. So I, yeah, I really dislike that. I dislike uh, fake banter. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know when a, a compare just goes like, so uh, you know in front of you, are you married? And they're like, yeah. And then they just tell a story about them being married. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's like you're not comparing, man. You're yeah. Just, it's, I don't like that. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Um, like that, I don't. There's some things that are really crap, but I, that I really like as well. Go on. One of my favourite ones is when uh, is the emergency. Emergency audience participation. (laughs) 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 This is my favourite one, and and not you you sort of you still see the odd established comic do it, but um, it's great when you see like a sort of a newer act, and it sounds horrible, but you know like if you're at like a sort of a big weekend comedy club and you've got like a ten minute spot on, so there's a there's an open spot and they're pretty nervous and they're all excited about their ten, and you see at the comedy store a lot and they go out. And they're all, you know, it's not their fault. If you're doing a ten at the comedy store on a Friday, Saturday night, chances are you're on with a belter of a bill. Yeah. Like I can't remember. I was there last time, and you know, there was a t- you know the open spot was on with uh, with like I mean it was me guys, and <laughs> there was like Terry Alden, flipping John Maloney. Yeah. I can't remember yeah. else, but like you know, that proper big circuit hitters, man. Mm. Everyone's gonna smash that gig, mm. and then you get a ten minutes spot go on, and they might be good, but they're not gonna you know be able to just bang it like the others and then they do something and it just doesn't get a laugh and then you just get a pause and they're like any couples in? Yeah. <laughs> my favourite one is about a joke doesn't get anything who's drinking tonight? Yeah. <laughs> who's drinking? it's Friday night in the fucking comedy store 400 people are drinking <laughs> but it's that emergency like proper just like, oh, where is it? Where is yeah it? yeah that's it oh I love it that's one of my favourites so there's things like that that I don't think it's shit. I think they're really funny. Yeah. Especially if you sort of do them on purpose. Yeah. But like that's, again, it's that thing of, can be a bit in-jokey, but isn't like, we've been doing it on this little run. Yeah. Of now and again, dropping in a really sort of crappy, like, 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 cheap, like a line that, you know, you've heard bad comics say. Yeah, yeah. And just doing it just for our own amusement. It's like really funny. Just to give you a chance to go, yeah. on stage. Because that's what I do. I make that noise. If I, if I ever yeah. make a proper clangor on stage, Rather than try and wash over it with like, and he yeah. goes, I will just go. I will make a noise. Draw a big red there. circle around it. <laughs> I love it. It's like Benny Boots a really good one for if he does a joke that doesn't get a laugh. He's like he once did something. So, I don't know why this was so funny. He did a joke, didn't get a laugh, and he just to himself through the mics went, "Oh shit, that joke was shit." <laughs> and it was such an honest moment that the crowd then laughed. Yeah, yeah. So I think if something doesn't work, you should just. Yeah, address it. Don't do like, oh, that's new. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Just sure. say, guys, just so you are aware, yeah. I also know that was shit. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. will appreciate that more. I really thought that was good. I believed with yeah. my whole heart that that would make you laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, another one I hate. Oh, is, oh that deserves more. What? Oh, God, yeah. I will yeah, be yeah. the judge of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? You don't fucking make the rules. <laughs> what you mean is, Last time I said that, probably better. It yeah. got more. The yeah. end. <laughs> or last time it deserved less. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'd love to see someone use that on stage. <laughs> Get a huge laugh and go, that actually deserved less. <laughs> I've done I've done that before. Oh amazing. If, like, it's, and I, do you know who's really funny at this? 
Um, when we first got here, we watched uh, Stephen K. Amos do the show here. Yeah. And he, Stephen, oh, yes. Stephen is, you know, he's one of these charismatic, yeah. he like, goes into the audience and all that. And he said something, somebody said something from the audience. Yeah. And he just responded. Yes. And he thought what, he was being heckled and he slammed the guy. Yeah. Didn't he? But what he said didn't make any sense. Yeah. It was a really bad put down. <laughs> and he, but it got a massive round of applause. And after it, they stopped laughing. He yeah. went, that didn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and told them you just clapped nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's. I the, think it's really funny the, to do that. The bit, I think the bit I was referring to, I thought you were going to say, was uh, when he used that. You know, it's a well-worn thing of going. See that silence? You did that. Oh, see sorry, that, that laugh? Was great. Yeah, I yeah, did yeah. that, and then he's. I mean, that's a well-worn that's a well known bit. bit. He did it for so he long. He did it for ages ago, and that, and yeah. he got another laugh, and that, yeah. and he just modulated how he was saying it every time, and that. That as well, like, and it just got laugh, 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 laugh. You must have been doing it for two minutes. Oh, it was hysterical. Yeah. And it's that thing. I think sometimes, if yeah, these sort of you know, some people roll out these crap old, mm-hmm. like, where'd you learn to whisper in a helicopter? Yeah. Which is crap. But if you've got an audience that know their comedy, it's funny to do one for a laugh <laughs> yeah. and then play around with it. <laughs> yeah. And sort of, yeah. But I, I, that's that's my. I just don't like people that are just use cynical shit on stage. That's my biggest bugbear. Or what else do I do? Just like, what's that? I was about to mind playing a guitar. I thought you'd run out. I was going, no, no, I don't mind a good musical act. I love to like. No, 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 no. I was implying that that was a good point. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say I don't like musical comedy. No, no, I mean, most of it. Just write down one minute before, lose that. Yeah. What else? Is there anything else I'd really dislike? Or just people that are dickheads, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, in like dressing rooms, people that have got really bad, e- big egos. Yeah. I don't like, uh, I don't like that. We're not, you know, and again, this I tend to find it with edgy comics. Yeah. They tend to think they're doing something that has a lot more worth than it does. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, they'll go out and they'll yeah, reap and all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, because people are lapping it up and it makes them think that they are genuinely sort of like on the, on the wave of, yeah, you know, edginess. And it's like, you're not, mate. You're just a fucking idiot talking shit. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like me when I was 15. That's true, man. I always think of them as people who uh, like write slogans on their pencil case yeah. in their 40s. It's just like, you know, it's like the whole thing. Like Bill Hicks was a very good comic, but mm. he was, and he was one of the people that I laughed. I think it's very funny despite me disagreeing with mm. some of the stuff he says because he wasn't a flipping profit you know what I mean mm. he wasn't nothing he said I never listened to Bill Hicks and you know well I did when I was young like yeah. not when I was young when I first when I had that first bit when I first got into comedy because I didn't know anything about comedy I was young I remember being like what 1920 and I listened to a Bill Hicks album and I was like oh my god mm. somebody's finally saying it yeah yeah, <laughs> course, yeah but within two years I'd grown up a bit and I'd saw I'd seen all the other comedy that I could see mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, actually he's just a good comic and as I've got older and got my own opinions about everything more, the the less I've really paid much attention to Bill Hicks's message mm-hmm. and I've just enjoyed more his jokes. Mm. You know, I'd much prefer and this is this is what annoys me. Actually, yeah, this this is it. Here we go. I <laughs> finally this is what yeah, if if I talk for long enough I'll get to a good point. <laughs> which is how my Edinburgh shows normally pan out <laughs> um, uh, what annoys me is that it's only comics that stress that they say they've got a message that are ever given the sort of you know the praise of having a message 
Yes. Basically, if you're banging on about some edgy shit, people go like, yeah, he's talking about some stuff. Whereas I've seen people like, I, I've seen people like Cochrane, mm-hmm. you know, someone who on the face of it is sort of just having to be a bit waffly and telling some lovely stories. Mm-hmm. But I've come away from a Cochrane show having a bigger understanding of his world view yeah. than I ever would from somebody who's just going out and just he's banging on about. the slogans. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, yeah. and it really annoys me because it's, is it, it shouldn't be the way that people only respond to it being thrown in their faces. You know, like, there's, like, there's some great comics like who, are, you know, you come away sort of having a real understanding of what they're about, even though at no point have they sort of in, openly and said, and this is what I'm about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this yeah. is why I think David Cameron's a cunt. Yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. You know, I'll actually get a much sort of nicer understanding of how they feel about the world. And they'll just they'll have done it in an understated way. So I don't. Mm. It annoys me that often, probably, and it might yeah probably in the in the press they probably will again only sort of ever give weight to people's opinions that are shouting about it rather than mm. actually just letting just throwing it out there and letting other people pick it up. So that's my biggest. That's what I really don't like. So you, of your. Uh our contemporaries or people who are on the circuit just say just for one minute to the circuit who do you think uh, particularly inspires you or or has influenced you over the years um, I mean, which of the people and I'm, I'm sort of I, I guess what I'm asking for is the sort of less obvious kind of you know what I mean that's why I say the circuit rather yeah. than oh yeah, yeah well I mean like obviously know, there's oh, yeah, Addy was probably the I remember the, I was talking the about most, before yeah. he was the one I, so, you know he's probably the reason I did stand up mm. he's the only one I remember from that night it was mm. the first time I saw live comedy and I still think he's one of the most naturally yeah. gifted comics yeah. on the circuit um, not a content- well after that the, the, the biggest comic that I think had an effect on what I do and he's not a circuit comic he's dead but uh, just sort of want to give him a little reference is because um, I saw after I listened to Bill Hicks and all that I remember mm. my first couple of years I was a little bit edgy because yeah. <laughs> I was just naive and young and I remember my mate gave me a Mitch Hedberg album yeah first CD that yeah. he did and uh, after that totally changed my not changed my style but I was it, that made me realise you can just be silly yeah and get away with it if you're yeah. funny so yeah. that changed everything and I think then that's why I now really like people that are just silly yes like, like you know, Cochrane. I remember seeing Cochrane do a bloody routine about his favourite cooker hob, and I was yeah. like, "That is just brilliant." <laughs> yeah. Listening to a grown man <laughs> just talk about how it used to be like back left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, man. That is that is gold. But I also yeah, there's loads of people that I sort of uh, you know, there's people that don't do the sort of comedy I do that I just think are just so good. Like Sean Walsh is an example of somebody who. I remember like I couldn't believe how good he was so quick mm-hmm. like, I remember doing a weekend at Brighton Comedia and uh, it was one of the first weekends I ever closed it and Sean was you know he'd been around a little bit of time he just started you know hitting big he started not hitting big like in fame but he just hit that stride where he was just you know suddenly just booming gigs mm-hmm. and I remember somebody dropped out who was meant to be in the middle and Walsh they called Walsh in Mm. And I remember, like, you know, I'd, I'd only started out a couple of years before him, but he, in the middle, he was, like, almost unfollowable. He mm. just totally smashed the shit out of it. And it's just observational stuff, but it's good observational stuff. Mm. And I can't do it. I don't, 
I don't see that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and yeah. He'll say something like, do you know when you bang your head on a bus and everyone looks? Yeah. And I'll be like, fucking yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I literally have never thought that. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he makes, he's one of those people that does make me think, oh yeah, I do think that. Yeah. But I just never... I never remember those things to note down. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried to do proper observational? Yeah. I've done, I do the odd bit, like, but again, I never do one that's proper. <laughs> Everything I do is always a bit like, yeah, I do, we do see that, Carl, but it's a bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, I, I had one in my last, was it last December show? About, um, about cut up fruits in supermarkets about the mm. fact that you can buy pre-cut fruits I remember that yeah and, yeah, and the whole thing was that that's unacceptable because fruits are oh, they grow so that we can eat them already yeah. hand like and I basically said oh, the only ones that should be there are melons and pineapples because they're really hard to eat on the go yeah and then I just sort of told this but again I then started talking about how evolution I, you know, I turned it into talking about evolution and okay. how evolution essentially made you know, apples perfect, but then made pears for people that couldn't work it out. So I had to, <laughs> had to, had to put a handle on it. So it was. It starts as observational, but ends up just being weird and yeah, wacky. Sure. So I, I can't do that thing of just saying, "Do you know when you do this?" Yeah, bosh, and it's a proper punchline. Yeah, yeah. Some people can just do, and it annoys me that people sort of criticise that because it is a skill yeah. you know when people say yeah what McIntyre does is easy and you're like yeah. no it's no, not no, no, no. and open spots I've seen open spots on stage slag off McIntyre yeah 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 that's easy <laughs> that's easy he smashes the fucking O2 yeah. and you're dying mm. in the shit and bucket <laughs> whatever, whatever gig they're doing yeah. we've all come on we've all gigged at the shit and bucket um, this strikes me I'd like to create that to be an illusion just for keeping food on the bar. do you ever play the shit and bucket no I did close by the time I got it uh, but um, yeah it's that, it's, just, it's that game with Peter Kay he's probably one of the most you know mm. the comic that most gets slagged off by other comics yeah. but you know if you watch his early DVDs that he's since just re-released <laughs> yeah. uh, they are actually he's, he's an incredible performer mm. but he can get a laugh with a raise of his eyebrows mm. which is not easy it's really hard you've got to have something about you so yeah I don't, I don't like people that just criticise that sort of stuff and you know not everything has to be wacky mm. <laughs> sometimes it's good to just have some people that just can go out and appeal to you know a lot of people I think that's good but I think yeah I think Walsh has got something that yeah, he's got a sort of. He's like McIntyre if he was. If McIntyre was a fucking rock star, it's, it's frightening when you see yeah. Walsh on form. It's amazing. What is the value of Edinburgh to you? How do you see the Edinburgh experience? How do you put those shows together? Do you write? Is it just your best stuff at the moment, or do you write to a theme? What's What's the Edinburgh thing to you? Um, I. I tend to sort of do each one a bit different. Like, I absolutely love Edinburgh. To, like, the, not the you know I don't like being away from home for a month. Mm-hmm. But I think, I, it, you know, I, I never think about the finances of it. You know, so that's a big thing. Like, I just think it's a place where once a year you can go for a month and do something that you should be proud of, and people will come and see it, and you might get stuff out of it. But you'll get you'll always get something out of it. Even it depends what you. But it's what you want out of it, isn't it? Like, if you want to, by the end of it, have a quality show that then you can take to some comedy festivals and do that, and go. That's the place to be. If you want to, you know, get seen by people, it's the place to be. Like, it's, there's so many different reasons, but I think a lot of people just get put off by, well, I'm just going to waste ten grand, aren't I? And it's like you don't have to waste ten grand. You can do sure. it in free fringe. You can, you know, you could 
could probably get a small room at like you know even probably the underbelly of some of them you know the Gilded Balloon and just don't spend don't go up with one of the big promoters who charge you through the roof you know mm-hmm. there's always ways of doing it I just think you've got to do it for yourself I love I love coming up with a new show I don't sometimes I write to a theme sometimes I don't uh, I just do whatever it's, I'm feeling when I start writing it and some years I start writing it early some years I'll write it late latest ever 2011 wrote it in June nice oh, oh my god yep yeah, June uh, and it was actually a good show right? it was a really good stand up show okay like, it was proper like had, so you uh, just come up with a this is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com Comedians, comedian podcast. Generic, or not a generic title. I, title I, I always cut the only yeah. out of all my shows. This is going to be my fifth. Only number four had a title that was for the show. Gotcha. Like I had the idea for the show when I came up with the title. All the okay. other years, uh, I do the title as vague as it yeah. can be. Yeah, and then I write the show afterwards. Okay. Because it doesn't, the title doesn't have to. I mean, again, I'm I'm one of these sort of. I don't. I know it's probably total bullshit, but I don't really believe all the shit that PR people and marketers say. Mm-hmm. I think it's nonsense when they say like you need a really strong hook for your show and all that. Yeah. I think, you know, if you write a really funny show and you just start, you know, in the first week, you get you know the people that see it really like it and they sort of spread the word and if you yeah. do some late shows and you smash them yeah. I think you can get on a roll in Edinburgh and just do really well I, th- I don't think you need a show called my mum died and I'm really sad and I want to talk about it and have yeah. photos of you sitting on a fucking outside a cemetery <laughs> 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 what I mean is yeah every and you know I'm with Avalon who are a big agency and you know sometimes you see obviously they sometimes try and guide your Edinburgh stuff down a certain route but if you've got to tell them like, if you want to do your own thing you've got to say to them no I'm at the end of the day I'm paying for this mm-hmm. this is how I want it to look this is how I want it I don't want it marketed as some mm-hmm. shit that it's not going to be I want it marketed how I want it marketed and normally I think you just if you just say look this guy's funny just come and see it and he's just you know that's the best way to do it without falling into all that nonsense you know, we're the artists. We're just meant to show up, be funny for an hour a day, and piss off and get drunk. <laughs> That's, I think some people just get too caught up in the business side of it. Just a purist, Stu. Great. There we go. That's the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't leave it on that, mate. Yeah. That's wanky. Oh, I'm going to leave it right there. <laughs> So that was Carl. He's just lovely, isn't he? He's great. If you've not seen Carl, you've got to track him down. Uh, this does feel weird because he's literally outside the door. <laughs> I don't know if he's still listening. Um, the Oyster Story is one of my all-time favourite bits and he's got such a naturally daft sense of humour. He's a brilliant act. Um, back to the Australians over the next few weeks. Thank you to Carl. Thanks to Graham Crockford and Dan Melrose for the music. And I will speak to you very soon. Bye for now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.